That was great. He is risen. Uh, good to see you guys. Good morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 24 if you turn there in your Bible with me. I appreciate that. That is Leviticus, not Luke. I'll turn there as well. Well, you turn. There it is. Luke 24. Oh, what an exciting time. I, I was in the first service. It just, I was excited about Easter coming and and I, I, we had all those projects this week, the Mission Week, Love, uh, Love Does projects, and, and it was just amazing, by the way. So if you were a part of those projects or were praying for us, so thank you so much. You guys, I'm so proud of you. Uh, we love the community in a, in a real, tangible way. Uh, they were, the, people were shocked, and in a couple of weeks, you'll hear some stories from that and just a lot of the feedback, but uh, I hope to make that more regular than just once a year for our church to be in the community, be in the hands and feet of Jesus wherever we go. But as we approached Easter, it was one of those, okay, yeah, there's a lot going on, I'm, it, we're tired, we're got a lot of projects and, and now it's just today yeah I'm excited again to be here with you and and uh, that we're together and as you come in we're smiling together and just ready to worship Jesus uh, the risen Savior we are uh, still in a part of our series love ran red and uh, that series we started a couple weeks ago uh, and talking about the enormous love that God has for us right as shown through Jesus Christ uh, his son on the cross and uh, and through the resurrection we started that series talking about the Garden of Gethsemane and we saw that Jesus was obedient to the Father's will, but he was obedient to the Father's will that it was pleasing to God that he would crush Jesus, right? And he's in the Garden of Gethsemane knowing that this is coming up. He's going to be arrested and crucified, and, and he's sweating like drops of blood, and his, his love is just running red for us under that enormous pressure, enormous grief, enormous sorrow. But he yields himself to the Father's will, the will that would say God loves us that much, that Christ would die for us. And we went in after that, we went to the cross and we looked at uh, the, the curtain that was in the, in the temple, the veil in the temple that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And uh, only one, one priest per year, uh, the, uh, 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 like a high priest, once per year could go into that and, and make a sacrifice on behalf of the people, right? And, and we couldn't enter the holy of holies. No, no, no other priest could. It was one high priest who went in there uh, every year on the day of atonement. And when Christ died on the cross, what we saw in, during that week was that the veil of the temple, the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. This 15-foot, large, huge, heavy tapestry was ripped in half because when Christ died, he became our great high priest who went before God on our behalf to take our sins. And, and he gave access to us to approach the throne of grace with confidence and boldness, knowing the great mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's a hope that we have that his, because his love ran red, we can draw near to God now. We don't have to have someone else do it on our behalf. We don't have to hope that we can be near to God. We can draw near to God. And then Good Friday, a couple days ago, we had a time of talking about the cross. And talking about the, we went through Isaiah 53 and looked at uh, how, how God was pleased to crush Jesus because of his great love for us, right? And that ultimately God's wrath was placed on Jesus. We think, well, this guy died, this poor guy. How did these Romans kill him? How did these, Jew these, these Jewish people, well, these believers wanted him dead? And they crucified him. They killed Jesus. Well, it wasn't then that kill we killed Jesus, right? Jesus willingly gave up his life. And that's the, tr the truth of the story. No one kills Jesus. Jesus willingly laid down his life as the perfect lamb sacrifice for us. No one killed him, especially not for something he did wrong. He said he was God. He said he could forgive sins. They nailed him to the cross. said blasphemy. And then what happened three days later? He rose from the dead saying, I'm God. I told you. Here I am. And I have power over sin. I have power over Satan. And I have power over death in the grave. 
And that's, that is the blessing we see today as we enter the, the love ran red, uh, looking at the, the resurrection. But we have this, this day, and it was weird for me this year because typically we have Good Friday, and then Saturday is kind of a low-key day. We have a Good Friday service, we worship, we teach, we look, and we read, and we pray, and then we, we go. And then Saturday is more of a low-key day. Because you think about it, Christ was crucified, and he was placed in the grave in the tomb, and then the Sabbath came, so all those believers were solemnly just contemplating, what do we do? The whole town's quiet, they're just doing their thing, and, and our Savior, our leader's gone, and there's this quiet solemnness that happened. And I try, I try to experience that every year. I try to have that quiet solemnness. But this year, man, with these mission projects going on, it was amazing, right? That quiet, solemn day yesterday was packed in with just loving our community. We had free barbecues. We helped widows with their brush clearing. We helped uh, Eschaton with a garden project over there. We just wanted to love our community. So I, I didn't get a break until late last night, finally. Like, that, the kids went to bed, right? I was like, okay, now it's solemn. Now it's quiet. And I just wanted to go to sleep. But then I had to finish a sermon. So we did, we did that instead. But God, God, just understand that there's a solemn time, this, this quiet time after the cross. And then on Sunday morning, the sun comes up. And the Son of God rises from the dead. And everything changes. Everything that was quiet can't be quiet anymore because Jesus has risen from the dead. And, and we believe that. We, we, like, we trust that. We, we're here celebrating that. That's why we celebrate Easter. In fact, if you didn't know it, you know, the Sabbath is from Friday night to, to uh, sundown to, to sundown on Saturday night. That's the Sabbath. That's when they worshiped. But Jesus rose on a Sunday, the first day of the week. And ever since, his believers, his followers, said, let's party, let's, ce- let's celebrate, let's get together on Sunday and celebrate. Let's worship on Sunday now because that's when Jesus rose from the dead. So we remember that every time we come to fellowship, to church. And that's why we worship on Sunday morning. Because every day should be about the resurrection of Jesus. But here's the, here's the problem. I want you to follow me for a minute. And we know there's power in the resurrection. We know in our heart that God is the Savior and he rose from the dead. But, but you and I sometimes act like and live like he's still in the grave. Like he died. Like, and we even say, well, who is Jesus to you? Well, he's my Savior. He, he died on the cross for my sins. My daughter can say that. But it's more than that, isn't it? Yes. You see, if, if I just leave Jesus as my Savior who died on the cross for my sins, I don't have that power of the resurrection now. And, and here's how we live that way. We live in a way that says, Jesus died for my sins. Thank you, God, for doing that. But if he stays in the grave and stays on the cross and in the grave, then I, I, I don't have that power and, and that life, that newness of life, and that freshness of him being risen from the dead. And what that looks like for me is this. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sin. Now I'll take care of the rest. Now I'll do my best to live up. Now I'll do my best to earn my way in. And listen, mature believers, you and I probably wouldn't say that honestly to ourselves. But sometimes we do leave him in the grave. You see, there is power, there is victory in the resurrection that we have to have in order to actually live free from guilt from shame, from justice and the punishment of, of, of our sins. Because Jesus rose. He's a conquering God. He rose from the dead, conquering Satan, sin, and death once and for all, and, and leaving us with the power that's in the resurrection. I don't want it to be left to me to be brave and to behave. I can't do it. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like, I just can't do this. This is too much, too much weight on my shoulders. 
She's like, yeah, I rose from the dead so you wouldn't have to have that on you. I took care of that. It's finished. So there's no power in the attitude that says, I can do it on my own. Sure, there's independence. And that's a virtue in our culture today, right? I want to be independent today and strong. There's individuality, which we want to teach our children to be. You need to be a unique individual, right? There's, there's maybe a self-help books out there or something we can do on our own. And there, but ultimately, what it is, it's pride. It says that, that I can take care of it now, Jesus. I, I've got the rest. Jesus says, no, you don't. No, I, I've got the rest. I did the rest of the work. And that leaves us in a place of grace and mercy and a place of power and victory because of the cross and because of the resurrection. So today what I want to look at is, I want to look at the power in the resurrection and what this resurrection story, this, and it's not just a story. I say story, but it's not like I'm reading to you, okay, kids, come here. Let's, you know, today we start and then we, you know, once upon a time. This is not a fairy tale, folks. This is an actual historical account of Jesus Christ. A man who lived and, and died and rose from the dead. And it's, it's outside, if you want to look at it extra biblical, go outside of the Bible and you'll see the historical records of Jesus are there. The historical records of the, the followers of Christ are there, of the crucifixion are there. The historical records of the account of this man rising from the dead are there. And people, people going to the grave proclaiming him as alive. When the Gospels were written, when Luke was written, when the, these Gospel accounts were written, they were within close proximity in the, within the lifetime of people who were eyewitnesses of the actual account. And I mentioned this before, the power of that, okay? Because we can write a fanciful tale and say, oh, Jesus is my hero. You can have whoever you want as your hero, but he's my hero. Right? We can all still be friends. Jesus is not just my hero because I believe he's my hero. He is the hero for everyone. Some will reject and some will accept. But what history says is this. When they wrote the Gospels and said, here it is, here's, here's the account of what happened, especially Luke. Luke is a thorough, like, investigative reporter writing this stuff out. He was very thorough in his, his account. When he presents that, the people who were there, who saw Jesus, who talked to Jesus, who were eyewitnesses, could have easily refuted it had it been false. This would not have made publication or had any credit to it at all had it not been true. So understand, it's not just some fanciful tale written years after thinking, this might be true of Jesus. This might be true of who he is. Let's just embrace that as a, as a people that call, call him Lord. This is a factual historical account that could have been and should have been dis disputed had it been false. Okay? And look that up on your own. That's a whole other sermon series we'll go into, okay? Today we're going to look at Luke 24, just the account, the resurrection account, which is a story in, in Luke, but it's, a, it's an account, not a, a fairy tale of the resurrection okay and we'll see what the power of the resurrection there we'll see what what that resurrection reveals to us let's pray and we'll get started with the word father you are a great and glorious god we are so so grateful for jesus that he was he was our savior he was the one that took our place on that cross but god the cross and the, and the tomb could not hold him that we know we have victory over death because jesus has victory over death God, help us cling to Jesus more and more. God, as we look to your word today, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to it. God, we, we want to hear truth from you, not from men's words, not, not, nothing else. We want to hear your truth today. God, we want you to challenge us and to change us, convict us of sin, and, and help move us towards a place and a position that draws nearer and nearer to Jesus. Because it's, it, it's he who we worship. We are thankful for Jesus today. We pray in his precious name. Amen. All right, so what does the resurrection reveal? Number one, you ready? 
It reveals that Jesus is really who he claimed to be. He's really who he claimed to be. We're going to pick up up in the reading here, uh, chapter 24, beginning at verse 1. Okay, you ready? On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in but did not find a body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood before them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed, bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He is not here, but he has been resurrected. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful man, be crucified, and rise on the third day. Right, Jesus' words. And look at verse 8. And they remembered his words. And they remembered his words. I read this and I found this a little bit perplexing. A little bit disturbing and a little bit funny, frankly, right? Uh, think about this. Sometimes we have this problem of only hearing what we want to hear, right? Any parents out there? You know their kids do that? Like, you only heard what you can. Why are you listening to me? Did you know parents, adults, grandparents? We used to be those kids too. And, and we aren't much different today as adults and grandparents than those kids are in our relationship to God, only hearing maybe what we want to hear when he speaks. Listen, Jesus did not just come down and go to the cross and it was done. He was born in a humble way in a manger. He grew up, he lived so he could live perfectly, so he could be a person put in place of us on that cross. We needed a perfect lamb sacrifice, so he had to come and live and be that perfect lamb. And then Jesus, while he was here, before he was crucified, he talked all about who he was. He talked about all about what he was going to do and why he was going to do it. He, he made very clear to the disciples what was going on. And last week, we celebrated Palm Sunday, right? The triumphal entry into Jerusalem, that they wanted to receive him as king, King Jesus. Be our leader. Free us from the oppression of these evil Romans. They're tyrants. You need to free us. We bow to you, but he didn't come to be the ruling power king. He came to let them put a crown of thorns on his head and be a humble servant king. The king of kings that we needed became the lamb of God and sacrificed himself for us. But he had told them all about this. And you think about this, in verse 8 it says, oh, they remembered his words. Oh, oh yeah, I I totally forgot what you had said, Jesus. I totally forgot how you had taught us, Jesus, during that whole time. Words like this. I am the bread of life, right? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the door or the only gate. He said, I am the good shepherd. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, no one gets to the Father except through me. He said, I am the true vine. You must abide in me to produce fruit. I am the true vine. He said, get this. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. So here it is Sunday morning. Oh, oh, I must have forgot that. And, now, and then they remembered. He is the resurrection and the life. And finally he said, before Abraham was, I am. That's why they crucified him, by the way. Because he said he was God. Like, wait, don't we know your parents? Aren't you from Nazareth? Yeah, but I'm God in the flesh. Before Abraham was, I am. Scripture says, 
Jesus is God and was present at great creation before the foundations of the world. He is eternal, and he's an eternal part of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is God. And for some reason, they forgot this. And you and I can laugh about it and joke about it, but we're the same way. We behave the same way. Like we forget what Jesus said. Like, oh, wait, wait, he's God? He really wants to do it that way? Oh, he, oh yeah. Wait, yeah, he is. He's really God. And listen, God, re- really God, had to come down in human flesh in order to conquer something that you and I couldn't conquer. You know what that, know what that is? It's death. We're all going to die, right? We have physical bodies. They're all going to give out. They're all going to die. But listen, you and I are eternal. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are eternal. Turn to your other neighbor and say it. You are eternal. Listen, we are eternal. We have a soul that is eternal. You know how long that is? Forever. But this body will die, and what, what has happened is this. Sin entered the world. Death entered the world. Death and decay. Adam and Eve were immortal and eternal. And as soon as they sinned, death entered the world. Their bodies began to decay, and they were going to surely die. Not only that, there was an eternal separation, a spiritual separation from God. They would be eternal, but they would spend that eternity separated from God because of their sin, because of the, of the evil inside of them. The, the Bible says that all of us have sinned. Every one of us has fallen short of God's standards and glory, that God is glorious and perfect and holy and pure and just, and he can't be around us who aren't. But God wanted us to. So God in the flesh came down to make a way for us that we could be redeemed, that we could be reclaimed, that, that the relationship problem that we had and separation between us and God could be fixed and resolved. See, Jesus is not just a good guy. It's not just a good story. He's not just a good prophet or a good teacher. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh coming down to conquer death, eternal death, where you and I could not do it on our own. See, eternal death will have its consequences on all of us because of our own sin, because of our own separation from God. But God in his love, he loved us so much, Isaiah said, that it pleased the Father to crush the Son for you. It pleased God the Father to crush Jesus for you so that you could have victory over sin, so that you could have victory over death so that you could spend eternity in the presence of God not because of your own righteousness not because of your own good deeds of your own good works or your own credit because scripture says that's all as filthy rags but because of God's credit and God's merit and what Jesus accomplished was enough and he said it is finished the resurrection reveals that he is really who he claimed to be God in the flesh who became a willing, suffering servant and took my place and took your place like only he could because he is who he said he was. Number two, what the cross reveals. Fear brings doubt, but faith brings freedom. Let's go back to our text. uh, Verses 9 through 12 together. So they just had this epiphany. Oh, yeah, Jesus, Jesus said that. I remember. So they ran back to the, the house. Returning from the tomb, they, 
they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, mother of Mary, or Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. So, yeah, we remember, we get it. They went back to tell the apostles. Who are the apostles, right? They're, they were the guys that were tight with Jesus. I mean, the 12 minus Judas, now the 11, they were like, they were like awesome, awesome guys, right? They were in the in crowd with Jesus. And if you had something to ask Jesus, like, oh, you've got to go through me first because I'm holy enough, I'm with Jesus. So you think these guys who are, holy and awesome and great who they weren't right they're regular men who jesus called to come follow me and, and be fishers of men and who, who had taught had, had camped out with jesus right on the campfire uh, as they walked to and from places they had learned and, and been with him for three years in his ministry they knew him very very well better than some of these some of these other followers and especially the ones that were at the tomb right but they they understood they went back and they told the followers and said hey here's what's being reported here's what's going on and, and you think, you think Jesus' followers were like, yeah, all right. We knew this. Look what he said. Look what they say. Verse 11. But these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Wow. I really want you to not criticize the disciples because you and I are just like them. God's word, God's truth, God being revealed to us and, and drawing us to himself and desiring for us to be near to him, we have a chance to respond to that. And sometimes, uh, that's just nonsense. We, we, and maybe we don't verbalize it, but we live in a way that says it's nonsense. And what is that way? It's fear that leads to doubt. Right? These followers had just seen their leader, their Messiah, killed, crucified on the cross. They nailed him to the cross. And they mocked him and, and they tortured him. And they, they saw this leader, this Messiah, who, maybe he's supernatural, maybe something's going to happen here. Right? They even, Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? Well, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. They knew he was the Messiah. Jesus told them, he revealed himself to be that. And then he died. And they hid. And they ran. And they cowered. Because their leader was dead. And, and they, they forgot what God had promised this is not a scapegoat that's going to stay dead. This is the living Messiah who has power over all of this. Death can't, this is nothing. This, is, this, is, this can't hold him. But they locked themselves in this house. And they had you know, probably certain people, secret people going in and out, getting them food or, or make, running their errands. They didn't want to be showing their face because their leaders got executed. Maybe they're next. And they started to doubt, is Jesus who, really who he said he was? And that doubt increased their fear right and that fear then increased their doubt so much so that when they, the, the women came back to report guess what he's alive that's nonsense wow see we do we do that when we get scared we start to doubt and when god's truth is right there in front of us oh that's nonsense i'll just live in my fear i'll lock myself in my room i'll figure i'll figure it out see pride wells up in us again the Messiah says, no, no, I took care of this. I don't want you to doubt. I don't want you to have fears. I want to expel those fears. And I want you to, I want you to act out in faith. So, so Peter is there, right? And it says, but one guy said something different, did something different. Peter, the, the guy who was like Jesus' right-hand man. Like, like that's the, Peter, you're the rock I'm going to build the church on, right? But Peter, <laughs> you're going to deny me three times before tomorrow morning. Oh, no, I'll never deny you, Lord. Three times, right? Jesus is arrested. He can't handle the pressure. A junior high girl asked him, are, are you a Jesus? 
No, no, I never knew him. What are you talking about? No, I never knew him. Peter denied Jesus three times. So all this is going through him. But the same Peter had said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So they come back to the house and Peter's there listening and, and everyone else thinks, oh, I'm scared and I have doubts and that's nonsense. But Peter, let's look at this. Verse 12. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. When he stopped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths. So he went home amazed at what had happened. See, Peter, Peter believed. Peter had faith. And maybe he didn't know, but he knew enough to stop doubting, to stop living locked in fear. And, and what he did, he, he got up and he ran to pursue his Savior, Jesus Christ. And see, that's what the resurrection reveals to us. That we can get up and we can run to Jesus and embrace Him and draw near to Him. See, Peter was done denying. He was ready to be free from fear and to live by faith. And you and I have all been in that fork in the road. Do I, do I submit to fear and doubt? Or do I cast it aside and let Jesus take it on? You know, I can also I can choose fear or doubt, or I can choose that path of faith. Faith in the perfect love and the perfect plan of God that casts out all fear and gives us freedom. There is freedom in Christ in drawing near to Christ because He is alive. Amen. The third thing that's revealed here is that we can test our position, our ideas our thoughts against his word. You know, when we live in, in places of fear or we lock ourselves into that doubt sometimes, we start to develop positions in our heart, like, like truths that we kind of start living by and, and holding on to. And it's not to say that those are accurate positions. You know, think about a debate team. I, I used to be part of a debate team in high school, and, and I, I used to judge debate teams too, like whether I was a counter or whatever it was. But whenever you debate somebody, what are you trying to do? You're trying to solidify your position. Try to prove it more so. Now, maybe high school debate team, that's okay. See, they aren't convincing each other. They're trying to convince a judge that's ju judging impartially. But see, I've, I, I used to be the debate guy who, who would get into a conversation with somebody, even about Jesus. Right? I'd be like, hey, who, who do you think Jesus is? And they'd start talking. Like, oh, no, no, that's wrong. That's, this, is what, this is who Jesus is. Okay, keep going. Who else do you think Jesus is? Oh, no, that's wrong too. Let me show you, come here. Let me show you how this is right, right? And, and I just got in people's faces about it. I never let them speak. And what happens when you debate that way? You get entrenched in the position you came with. You say a Democrat <laughs> or a Republican. <laughs> You're not gracious or compassionate. Listen, when, when you start debating people without wanting to listen with compassion, Walls start to build up around you. And you start to fortify your position even more. And you build yourself such a big wall that it's like a castle now. And guess who's king? I'm the king of my castle. And this position stands and you aren't taking another brick out of this wall. Right? Because we get argumentative and debate. We take a position and we do that with Jesus sometimes too. Places that we doubt or don't know, we kind of say, well, I, yeah, Jesus, you said that, but I don't know if it really means that. I'm just going to live this way. And I stand on that position. Because getting up and running to Jesus would take faith and would take changing. I, and not me changing necessarily. He's going to change me. 
But I'm scared of that. I'm scared of what he's going to change in me. So I build my little castle, and, and I debate with Jesus. He's like, I'm not somebody you can debate with. I'm God. Like, you can't just debate me, right? I need you to believe me, run to me, and trust me. By the way, the greatest way to, to have a debate with somebody is just to listen, to be quiet. I, I teach that now in my classes and stuff. When I, if you want to have a gospel conversation with someone, ask them, who do you believe Jesus is? And then be quiet and let them talk. They may have never actually verbalized out loud who they thought Jesus was. And, and given the right situation, if you humble yourself in that way, you, you might get a question back at you. Thanks for letting me share. Who do you think Jesus is? Well, I don't mind if I tell you who I think Jesus is. <laughs> Instead of shooting you down, right? But there's a debate going on sometimes, and we want to debate, and we want to hold our position. And, and what you and I need to do is understand, and understand we can do is we can test our position, and we must test our position. We must test our thoughts. We must test our ideas against God's true word. It's all about him. So let's, let's carry on in our story. Let's look at this. It's uh, verse 13. <clears throat> the same day. Okay, so now the same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, it says, debating, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Right, probably God kind of playing a little game there, right? Having fun. <laughs> then he asked them, right? Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other that, uh, as you were walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these last days? I want you to think about this. These disciples, these followers of Christ, were there when the women came back and reported that he had risen. They're like, we got to get some fresh air. We're going for a walk. And they start walking on the road to Emmaus. And it says they're arguing. Well, what are they arguing about? Right? They'd lived with Jesus. They had heard from Jesus. They'd seen him crucified. They'd heard now that he had resurrected just as he said he would. For some reason, they're entrenched in a position. And what they need to do is test everything against Scripture. They, they were kind of smug, weren't they? They're walking along, and Jesus kind of comes up alongside them, and he, he says, I don't want you to know who I am kind of thing, right? What are you guys arguing about? What are you talking about? And they, they stopped. Can, can you picture that? They stopped. And one guy looks at the other and is like, who's this guy? Like, are you the only guy that doesn't know anything? Are you the guy that doesn't know? Listen, are you, are you the only guy that doesn't know my position on this? Are you the only guy that doesn't have a clue? Because I certainly have a clue. My friend, he has a clue. It's not right, but he has a clue. Right? We all have a clue. And Jesus is just, <laughs> he laughs to himself. The story goes on. We'll read it. But go, jump down to 27. Look what he says. Look what it says. They had a position, right? They were arguing about that position. And Jesus is chuckling. Then Jesus, beginning with, the, with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. He says, you guys can argue and take whatever position you want. But let's go back to the truth. Let's go back to what I said, who I am, and, and how I can prove that. 
Because I am God in the flesh. I'm risen, I've risen from the dead. You and I develop positions sometimes in our life and say, well, I, I'm going I'm to hold on to that. I'm going to keep myself right there. This idea of mine is right. But we don't submit ourselves to God and His authority. and say, God, w- what is really going on here? What do you really want me to do? We develop our own plan, our own position. And what we are asking essentially is this. Jesus, would you please follow me? Instead of us following Jesus. And that's what these disciples were doing. In essence, they were actually talking to Jesus. Don't you know you should, you should know this? I feel like you should know what's going on here. I feel like you should be following us and on board with our position. And they actually said that to Jesus. He's like, you know, let me show you my position. Let me show you who I really am. And it opened their minds. It blew their mind. See, my thoughts and my positions can be tested against God's work and his word. And it must be. And if they are found, if my ideas and positions are found lacking or wanting, it is not God that has to change to accommodate me. It's, it's I that has to change. It's us. We need to adjust and follow the resurrection says we can test our position against his word and now we have that choice. Am I going to follow? Or am I going to ask him to follow me? Finally, number four. The resurrection reveals that it is unwise to be slow to believe. It is unwise to be slow to believe. Let's go back to our, our text in verse 19. We'll go through 27. So he just got done saying, are you the only visitor? Are you the only one that doesn't really know what's going on? Jesus says, what things? What's happened? I don't, tell me, right? So they said to him, these things concerning Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, wrong, right? I mean, their, their position is clearly wrong. Powerful in action and speech before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death. No, he willingly went, right? And they crucified him. Verse 21, look at this. See, this is, this is what happens. We, we do this. We try to get a quick fix. We, we think, here's the solution that's going to happen. Here's what they say. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. We, we were really hoping that this Jesus thing would have worked out. I guess we'll have to get the next book off the shelf. We were hoping. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. They, they, they were expecting him to be alive. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they did not find his body, they came and reported that, he had, uh, that they had seen a vision of angels who had said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us at the, uh, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. And he said to them, how unwise. And see that there's disbelief there, right? There's disbelief in their heart. They aren't believing. Oh, well, see, the women came back. They said, here's, here's what we found. Some of them went and said, yeah, we confirmed. And, and the angel said, he's alive. And they're still like, I'm not sure. The women said that, but we didn't see him. We didn't see him. He said to them, 
How unwise and slow you are to believe in your hearts all that the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. An amazing continuation. You can do that at home later on. But God in the flesh is there still saying, you still don't believe? I'm right here. It's right there for the, for the grabbing. And he said, how unwise and slow you are to believe. See, it's unwise and slow for you and I to believe in the, in the Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lord. And, and here's, here's how we're slow. We're slow because we, like them, want a quick fix. We want an easy solution. And we'll try just about anything, right? Maybe today you came, you're like, well, if I, if I can go to church and get a 20-minute sermon in, I'll be good. I'll be good. It'll be great. You're like, now you're like, this sermon's taking too long. That did not work for me. Right? Maybe you're like, I'll go home tonight, and I, I'm hoping, just like their language, right? I, I hope, we're hoping that this would work. Maybe you're hoping that you'll put the Bible under your pillow tonight, and you'll be sleeping on it every night for eight hours. will draw you closer to Jesus. <laughs> you'll become more spiritual that way. Maybe you think that you'll be a better spiritual person or connect with Jesus on a deeper level if you eat more kale. Right? I, there are people that think that. Eat kale or don't eat kale. But it's not the spiritual thing about it, right? We, we try these short little fixes. We were hoping that this would work. We were hoping that this would turn out. We were hoping that this would be true. We were hoping that we could draw near to Jesus this way. And you and I, in hoping that, are actually being slow to believe what He's already accomplished on our behalf. And it is unwise to be slow to believe. The truth is this, that there is nothing you can do, there's nothing that I can do to earn my position of credit or merit before God. There's nothing I can do. There's no secret fix or secret solution that's going to make me super spiritual before God. All of us are equally empty. Everything that we bring to Him is equally worthless. All that we can bring to Him is Jesus. And let Jesus speak on our behalf. Let His blood cover us. Let His righteousness, His perfection, cover our sin. Because we are unworthy. And listen, that's why we celebrate today. That's why we're celebrating the resurrection. That's why we celebrated the crucifixion. That's why we celebrated the triumphal entry. That's why we celebrate Passion Week. Because this was the culmination of everything Jesus had said and done and taught and everything that Scripture had pointed to. And we look forward to that while we can't do it, Jesus did it on our behalf. So we stand before God. We are justified because of the Son. Listen, each of you, each of us here, have separated ourselves from God because of our sin. But God in His love wants us to draw near to Him, wants us to be with Him forever. So He's willing to forgive and overlook our sin if we would turn to Jesus. Not turn to, well, I'm really hoping that this will work. I'll try this next week. If we would stop doubting, stop being afraid, if we would stand up and run to Jesus and believe the Gospel. Jesus Christ wants to forgive you. He wants to cleanse you from everything and, and, and usher you into a right relationship with Him and one day, and give us a hope for one day, ushering, him to, ushering us into an eternity with Him 
that we'll get to celebrate day after day all that He has done for us. For you and I, it is time to stop hoping in our own recipe of belief or faith. It is time to believe from your heart in Jesus Christ and the hope of the resurrection because our God lives. Amen? It's an amazing thing. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for this glorious day that we get to, to set aside and remember the power of the resurrection. And God, it's not just today, the Easter Sunday, we remember this. Every Sunday as we gather, we worship you because you have been crucified and risen, just as the Scripture has, has told us. And God, that the power we have revealed in the resurrection is the power that we need for whatever hope we have, for whatever agenda we have. It is finished and has been done by you on the cross and through the resurrection. We thank you for that. Help us to, to not just try to be better people. Help us to not just try to adjust the way we act. Help us get up and run to you so we get more and more of you. We praise you for who you are, Jesus. And we pray in your glorious name. Amen. Um, listen, we're going to get that response card out.